welcome to All Things Green. I'm Shelby here with my decorated co-host Anton to discuss a variety of topics from across the sustainability universe. Anton, you've got quite a look going on today. Tell me all yeah, about it. Yeah, well, I biked here. Yes. Just that, like I did last week. That's right. And you <laughs> are continuing to wear your helmet, but it sounds like you want to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to talk about my bike a little bit. Please. I know we're going to talk a little bit about electric vehicles later, but I wanted to talk about my electric vehicle. It's an e-bike. Great. Uh, I just remove the battery, I plug it into the wall and charge it. It gets me far and wide, you know, you, you really up your, your distance when you have that pedal assist, you know. Got it. So, so it helps you yeah. keep biking, which yeah. is better than driving, environmentally yes. speaking, but you can go a little further than if you were on Anton Power alone. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> just it's just good for commuter for commuting. Um, if I have to be at a meeting somewhere, I can get there maybe like 10 or 15 minutes faster uh, than just like a regular normal Acoustic bike, if acoustic you Acoustic bike, yeah. I like that. Yeah. When you use pedal assist, like, what does that really mean? Or, like, what does that feel like? Does it just mean, like, it's easier to get up a hill? Or does it feel like it's going without you? What's yeah, that? a little bit of both. So the way my e-bike works is I have, like, these little buttons on my handles, and I can say up or down. And uh, five is, like, the highest setting. Zero is no assistance at all. Mm. So if I, like, just put it on five, and then I start pedaling... Uh, it'll just start rolling, like it'll start okay. going, and it's awesome because uh, I can just go like 20 miles an hour down the road, wow. and uh, yeah, it's fun. It's it's really it's fun. It's a, a good leisure, a good leisure, a good pastime. Yeah, <laughs> for work and for pleasure. For work and for pleasure, exactly. I love it, and you've got like some safety features and everything. Well, I went to Joy Machines, which is actually like just down the road from us. It's a bike shop. Um, my friend Alex owns the shop. And uh, this rear view mirror, mirror, this rear view mirror, helps me see behind me in case there's any cars that are like about to hit me. I can just bail off my bike. So, okay, great. Yeah. we hope that you never have to do it. But I'm glad that you yeah. got a tool for it. Thank you. Where'd you get your e-bike? Uh, I actually bought it online during a Black Friday sale. Okay, great. So I got it. It's pretty, accessible. Yeah, I got it pretty cheap. Uh, it was shipped to my house, um, and I just had it assembled by my. Uh, partner's uncle so that's fantastic yeah. Yeah. and so is there any like maintenance or like first of all I think you're kind of rubbing it in that I um, can't really ride a bike very well um, but uh, this is, this is motivating me to, yeah. uh, to maybe get more into it so that I can have a fancy <laughs> e-bike well you know bike Cleveland actually has adult uh, cycling classes -uh. yeah you can go learn oh would yeah. you go with me so that I don't feel like yeah 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 of course <laughs> thank you all thank the staff you. at bike Cleveland are wonderful okay so. that's great to hear <laughs> any anybody else in Cleveland we should know about like to like maintain my bike or where I could get uh, a bike or anything like that there's a lot of great bike shops everywhere um, up cycles I guess is uh, on Lorraine uh, very close to us also okay great they uh, they actually will like take old bikes and they'll uh, Make them like new again with other parts. They'll sell, you know, reused bikes. Uh, we got Joy Machines, which I already talked about. Beat Cycles in Lakewood is where I take my bike to get it maintained. Uh, but it's such, it's so much less of a money pit than a car. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you have to replace tires. Maybe you have to get the chain greased. Uh, but like, other than that, it's like such an affordable way to get around. Plus you look so stylish. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. But I'm going to actually take this off for the rest of the episode. So. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, we talked about your, your electric vehicle, which is yeah. a bike. Um, but I also want to talk about electric vehicles and the way that we more traditionally think about them. Hair looks great, by the way. Yeah, a little bit of helmet hair, but it's fun. <laughs> that is part of the commitment to the e-bike. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you think about more of an electric vehicle, I think that we who are sort of in this sustainability space talk a lot about EVs as this like 
major solution for protecting our environment and reducing our carbon emissions? I mean, is right. that like what you think most people are talking about when we talk about EVs? Yeah, I think a lot of people see it as like the solution to uh, getting places without having to burn as much gasoline. Yeah. I, have, I have my thoughts. I'd like to hear yours first, though. Yeah, I think we can kind of bill it as this like silver bullet. Mm. Um, and as we've talked about before, I come at sustainability and the environment from a public health background. So yeah. when it comes to technology, I sort of listen to what I see yeah. uh, and I might not question it right away. But I was reading something lately that did make me question my kind of just boundless appreciation for EVs. Um, so I'm reading this book by the author Peter Zion. He's a geopolitician and he's really interested in um, migration, demography, and also sort of um, how goods are transported around yeah. the world. His most recent book is called The End of the World is Just the Beginning. And mm. he's talking about changes in population, and also what that will mean for different sectors, everything from technology to manufacturing to materials. Yeah. And he had a whole kind of mini section, a rant you could even call it, about mm. electric vehicles that sort of... A rant? Yeah, I would maybe call it. He's a, <laughs> he's a very serious and educated guy, but he writes in a really accessible way, including, okay, including things like having a footnote under mentioning lasers where the footnote was just pew pew. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so it's like really accessible even for someone like me who isn't used to reading about materials in this way. So yeah, he had this whole section on um, what it takes to produce the batteries in electric vehicles and all the materials that you need to make electric vehicles lighter mm. because the batteries themselves are so heavy. Okay. And essentially what I was learning is that what I thought of as... Uh, a totally great thing. Just the next natural step for us, uh, decarbonizing driving, wasn't all it was cracked up to yeah. be. You're nodding like you already knew this, which doesn't surprise me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just you have to you have to do all of the. Uh, you're burning a lot of carbon manufacturing all of this first of all. Yes. Instead of maybe repurposing uh, an older vehicle that already has good gas mileage to begin with. Also, I have a beef with EVs. Um, if you have an EV, that's fine, uh, but we can't look at it as like the end-all be-all. If we're going to do transportation planning and we want more people to be pedestrians, cyclists, and public transit takers, we have to start planning our streets so that uh, it's less uh, car-friendly and more pedestrian, bicyclist, and public transit-friendly. Yes. And I feel like this is going to just uh, kind of exacerbate our car culture in America. People are just going to want to buy the next shiny thing. Yeah. To me, uh, ding, 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 greenwashing alert of the week, you know? Um, yes. We, I don't think that electric vehicles are overall greenwashing, but yeah. to your point, like people want to buy the next thing. And so even someone whose mindset is green, like I want to care about the environment. If you have the disposable income to buy a new car, back when it was a gas vehicle, mm -hmm. you probably have the same thing when it's an electric vehicle. And so I wanted to know more about it because it was making me feel kind of cynical. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not about climate cynicism here. We're about right. solutions. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to like better understand what I was reading, uh, not because I didn't believe Mr. Zion. I just wanted to put it in context because that was just sort of a, a, you know, a side thing from him. So I found this report from the MIT Climate Portal um, 
very trustworthy source in my opinion. And so they pointed out things that we've already talked about. Electric vehicles are not net zero. Uh, they, They do produce emissions. As you mentioned, the manufacturing of electric vehicles takes a lot more energy than it does to produce a traditional gas-powered vehicle. Yeah. A lot of that is mining for the materials themselves. Lithium, wow. cobalt, nickel, these are materials that have to be mined. Right. Um, and it takes a lot of energy to do it. And also those things often aren't mined in the US. They're mined around the world under really cheap and probably not super safe labor laws. So we import a lot of it. Also has to be transported all the way here. Wow. And as we discussed, it makes a much heavier engine um, and or a battery, I should say, mm-hmm. not an engine. Um, and so then you have to work to make the actual frame of the car lighter. Yeah. It gets to be really complicated. Um, it also produces emissions to charge the battery. So we can't forget that even though it is a, an electric vehicle, you have to charge the battery. And it really depends on the quality of the grid from which you are charging of how much emissions come out of charging that vehicle. Oh, yeah. So um, the article that I was reading, or the report, I should say, from MIT made reference to the idea that like in Scandinavia, where there's a lot of hydropower, uh, electric vehicle charging is like not net zero, but really, really low, like significantly lower than anything that you would get out of just pumping your car full of gas. But if you're pulling it off of an electric grid that is uh, not so clean. Maybe coal powered or something like that. You're essentially just using dirty energy to to feel better about your your electric vehicle. All of this sounds cynical still, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But the report also highlighted that electric vehicles are still overall a net good. Because once they hit the road, they do produce significantly less emissions that outweighs how much emissions go into the production and charging of them. I just wanted to talk about it because I think, as I mentioned, we do discuss electric vehicles like they're an end-all, be-all solution. Right. And you mentioned it, like people want to buy the next thing. I just want to point out how much goes into creating them. So if you have already purchased an electric vehicle, keep it, (laughs) take good care of it, use it sparingly, and then be a pedestrian. Yes. Be a a bike commuter like Anton. I try. (laughs) (laughs) You know, take take public transit when you can. Um, Here in Cleveland, we have lots of different uh, public transit options, and that, that is not equitably distributed around the US, but where it exists, you can take it. Um, So yeah, if you've got an EV, that's great. Thank you for taking a step towards a a greener planet. And also a little ding, 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 greenwash alert. Don't think that that's gonna be the only thing that you can do. Um, I know that you are um, interested in this topic, so I just wanna give you an opportunity to talk about any other thoughts you have on electric vehicles before we move into the next thing. You know, I feel like we covered it a lot I would just add, biking is a lot of fun. Yeah. You get to see, like, a vantage point of, like, the city or community you live in that you just normally wouldn't get from driving in a car. So I would just say, give it a shot. I'm not saying commit your life to it. Don't sell your car or anything. Uh, but, you know, you might you might find that you really like it. So definitely give it a shot. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, once I go to Bike Cleveland and learn how to ride my bike more effectively, <laughs> maybe I can do that. And until then, I'm going to hold on to the old 2011 Subaru that I've been driving for years and oh, years. Nice. 
until I kind of run it to the ground or until it actually does start producing emissions that are like failing the state test and show that it's like really, really dirty. You know, yeah. my, my partner had to replace his vehicle because he we moved to Ohio and couldn't get it re-registered. And that was a good thing, you know? Yeah. There's a reason those tests are in place. It showed that the emissions weren't good. You're going to have to replace a whole catalytic converter. <laughs> Might as well do a new car at that point. But yeah, um, yeah if you've got one... Hold on, and then the next car, make it an EV. 100%. Don't buy a new one until you need a new one. Agreed. All right, cool. Well, thanks for talking about this thing that I, I learned a lot about this yeah. week. Let's talk about something else. All right. You want to talk about fracking again? <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to do weekly fracking sections? Uh, no. Sessions, you think? No, I don't think so. Okay, well, I but, would take it, but I, I'm excited to learn a little more today. Yeah, so fracking, something very near and dear to my heart. No. Uh, it's... Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> well, we have we have a lot of communities affected by fracking. Yeah. And so I just wanted to give you a quick run through of um, how fracking is affecting safe drinking water around America. Yes, please do. There are studies that show that underground chemicals from fracking or injection wells, mm -hmm. it's leaking into people's safe drinking water. Uh, these are like private wells, or maybe it's even like uh, runoff that ends up in an aquifer, like mm -hmm. um, for example, on the Ohio River, they have an aquifer where there's a lot of uh, waste just running off from a facility in Belmont County. Mm -hmm. And so they're gonna get their municipal water system contaminated with radioactivity and forever chemicals that you have to, you, there's no way to clean it. You gotta just get a whole new system. And Hence so- the forever part, I yeah, guess. Yeah, the forever part. <laughs> and so it's dangerous. I mean, from an economic and like infrastructure standpoint, do we really wanna be, uh, rebuilding all this infrastructure because we have contaminated it through fracking, right? Yeah, and it sounds like probably there's not a whole lot of regulation that's keeping this from happening. Right, exactly. That's one of the biggest. That's one of the biggest problems. The oil and gas industry, uh, they were actually they're actually exempt from having to report what kind of chemicals are in this toxic slew that they use to do the fracking. And I think we talked about because that's proprietary, like yes. same, same reason that I can't know what has gotten into my bloodstream if I go to the doctor. It's all, yeah. it's all coming together, Anton. It's all coming together. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm really trying to do on this podcast because yeah. fracking is such a big issue uh, that people need, to, people need to know the nuances so that they can protect their own communities. Mm -hmm. um, in 1974, the Safe, uh, the Safe Drinking Water Act was passed and actually a uh, loophole came around a little bit later that helped exempt oil and gas from having to comply with the Safe uh, Drinking Water Act. Mm, so, just when I thought we were going to get good news, yeah. Safe Drinking Water Act, I was like, woohoo! Yeah, <laughs> right. It's actually uh, the fracking industry is totally, uh, what's the word I'm looking bypass? for? Bypass? To they totally bypass the Safe Drinking Water Act. Got it. Uh, Dick Cheney, uh, former vice president, he was uh, once a CEO of an oil and gas company called Halliburton. And so what's dubbed now the Halliburton loophole, he recommended to Congress, hey, oil and gas should not have to be uh, under the Safe Drinking Water Act. Mm. So what does that mean for us today? I mean, that was 1974. This is just kind of continued and we haven't made any progress or are there like things going on that can make this better? Well. We're still under the same. We're still under the same legislation. We're still under that Halliburton loophole. Mm -hmm. So, when fracking waste does end up in people's drinking water, 
there's nothing that we can really do about it until Congress repeals the Halliburton loophole. Mm. People are going to keep getting contaminated by forever chemicals and radioactive waste, um, which is really concerning. And I have some proposed solutions that I would like to bring to the table. Yeah, please. Um, there's, first of all, we need to regulate these chemicals, this radioactive fracking waste. We need to make sure that there's cradle to grave tracking. And what I mean by that is from the moment that they take fresh water and mix it with their proprietary chemical solution, we need to know where that waste goes, whether it's in the ground, whether it comes back up. We need to be able to know if it's being spread on roadways, whether it's ending up in drinking wells. Uh, that's all really important because we need to know what areas are being contaminated so that we can hopefully clean this up. It's going to be an expensive job, but we're going to need to clean this stuff up so that we don't keep getting sick from it. Is there anything that I can do or the average citizen can do? Can I support this in some way or should I just be listening to you and keep myself educated? Well, it's, it's such a niche issue that it's not really talked about a lot. I would yeah. say the best thing to do is go to Buckeye Environmental Network's website, uh, watch the webinar, look, at, look, for, look out for our graphics, and talk to, your, talk to your community, talk to your representatives, call them up, and let them know that this is a concern of yours. Mm -hmm. uh, tell them that you want the Halliburton loophole to be repealed, and tell them that you want uh, fracking to be regulated so that there's no proprietary solutions we know exactly what's in that solution for fracking and it can be taken care of and tracked that sounds like the least we can do uh hopefully we see some progress on this i know you'll keep us informed of any and all updates on 100 percent. you know i will <laughs> um i want to move on to our last segment yeah um which is going to get a little gory oh no Are you okay with that i can i can deal i'm a little squeamish okay well but i'll deal I think you're going to have to because I don't know how to make this any any less uh, graphic than okay. it's already going to be. I, Let's go for it. I had to cover this when I saw the headline. This is from the Washington Post and it was, <laughs> headline was, to help Earth's future, people are getting buried like it's 1860. Oh, goody. Yay. Yeah, we're going to talk about death. I okay. hope you're excited. Listen, this is an environmental news podcast, environmental yeah. discussion podcast. We're interested in the natural world, life cycles. That includes death. So we've got to go here. I hope you're okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. I have to ask before we get into it, have you thought at all about what you want to happen to you when you die? Uh, I think that I would maybe want to be like buried next to a tree or something. Mm -hmm. I guess I want my body to go back to the earth. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I think so too. And, uh, Evidence shows that that is a growing up, like growing in popularity. This idea that people want a more green burial. Yeah. Um, when I say green or natural, I might use those terms interchangeably today. What I really mean is that you're just avoiding these materials that don't decompose. So mm. you're avoiding your body being embalmed. You're avoiding uh, being buried in a casket that's made of metals or plastics or things that also won't decompose um, or any other kind of non. Uh, non-compostable yeah. container, clothing, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, instead, a more natural or green burial um, chooses compostable materials like you could be buried in a bamboo box okay. that you know, still gives you that ceremony that you want with your family, um, but will eventually go back to the earth, as yeah. you said. Yeah. Um, and so that's pretty, it's growing in popularity, but it's pretty um, different than what most people are used to um, or what most people have really heard of. So 
I'm probably going to reference my notes a lot um, in this episode or in this segment, I should say, because I really want to get this right. um, And who can remember these statistics off the top of their head? So in the U.S., 57% of people choose to be cremated. Okay. Cremation, that's when we burn ourselves into ash and then you can can store it. Um, That sounds not that bad, right? I mean... Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. You just ashes, right? Yeah, kind of. Except, um, actually, it's really bad. (laughs) Um, And not just because um, we're not alive anymore, which, of course, is the worst part. But, um, actually, cremation requires a furnace to run at about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit for two hours Mm. because our bodies are really resilient, especially our bones to being broken down. Um, The carbon emissions from running a furnace that hot for that long is equivalent to driving your car about 500 miles. Ooh. Yeah. So it's not exactly your campfire in the backyard. Um, it yeah. takes a lot of energy to to process a body in that way. Interesting. Yeah. So that is off my list. That doesn't sound good. But what's your other option? I mean, how else are people buried? They do a traditional burial in a traditional casket where they get embalmed um and here's a little bit of trivia for you um embalming has existed for a really long time but when do you think it was popularized in the u.s if you had to guess embalming yeah that that process of replacing your fluids with something that keeps you looking rosy for a long time (laughs) honestly i don't i i'm not entirely sure i would guess maybe like mid 20th century i really have no idea yeah well it's, it's like I said, been around a long time, but it became popular during the Civil War. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see the recognition on your face. It's, um, you know, people were dying all over the country, and then they had to be shipped back, and people wanted their loved ones to look nice. Yeah. Um, the technology existed, and so it became popular, so your soldier came home looking nice. Yeah. Um, and then President mm-hmm. Lincoln was embalmed yeah. when he was buried. He and was- so. Yeah, he was like railroaded all across the U.S. Yeah, he? totally. So people all wanted to come and see him. And yeah. I get that you maybe wouldn't want to see him if if the natural processes were taking place. Yeah, that would be stinky and It'd be, yeah. other stuff. It, smell my city app. Download it today. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so people saw that you could keep a body looking great and it seemed like really respectful and you want to be able to honor the people that you love so it became really popular and now like i said 37 percent of people choose that for themselves Mm. um at least uh, in the u.s and so i want to talk about some alternatives um but i also want to talk about the impact of both these things so yeah what's the drawback with the uh embalming Yeah, so embalming fluid, not exactly natural, Um, not great for the environment. Um, When someone is embalmed, they then have to be buried in some kind of container, but even that's not enough. Most ordinances um, make it so that you are required to then pour concrete into the ground before you put a body Uh and a casket in it so it's like a box and a box and a box and a box um because they don't want embalming fluid to leak out into the environment that's gross i know i'm sorry (laughs) i know i'm trying i'm trying to keep it less uh less gory for you disgusting (laughs) (laughs) so yeah like obviously if we don't want that leaking into the environment um we we do need that concrete but wouldn't it maybe be better if we just didn't do that in the first place um let's talk about some statistics yeah Traditional burials, where you are put into a casket and embalmed, require millions of tons of buried concrete 
and millions of gallons of embalming fluid. No kidding. Every year. Wow. Yeah, so the more traditional methods of taking care of the human body um, are not super great for the environment, but there are, as we talked about, ways that you can do it. Bury yourself in a biodegradable pod that turns into a tree. That's Mm -hmm. a thing. Um, But you can also just be buried in like compostable materials. Um, But one of our producers had another idea. Have you heard about body farms? Body farms? No, I haven't. Okay, so thanks to Sarah for this one. Thank you, Sarah. Body farms are these, I mean, they're kind of exactly what they sound like. It's uh, open land where people can donate their bodies to science. It started at University of Tennessee at Knoxville. Um, And they wanted to be able to study, uh, I should say these um, forensic anthropologists, wanted to be able to study what happens to the body as it decomposes naturally in all sorts of different scenarios. Okay. If it's hot, if it's cold, if you're submerged in water, if you're you know out in the open, if you're in grass, if you're partially buried, all sorts of fun wow, stuff. Yeah. Are you doing okay? You've... I'm doing. I'm doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's another option. If you're uh, thinking about all of your options for what to do with yourself uh, when the uh, end finally comes for all of us, you could also donate yourself to science, body farm <laughs> or otherwise. You feeling okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I mean, you know, death is not the, the most fun topic, but it's going to happen to all of us, so. I don't know. I kind of had fun talking about it. <laughs> well, That's disgusting. <laughs> I, I had so much fun talking about all things green um, and dead in some cases with you today, Anton. So how about you tell our viewers all about where they can find us on the internet? Absolutely. If you'd like to stay connected to us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at One Planet Media. That's O-N-E, one. And if you'd like to rewatch full episodes, check out our YouTube channel, The All Things Green Show. You can find all of our sources from today's episode in the show notes. We'll be here at the same time this Thursday to bring you more environmental news. Thank you for being a part of the global sustainability movement.